0: Today we're going to talk about tips for turning a bad game around. everyone welcome to the 74th episode of the game dev field guide i'm your host zachavelli you can find me on twitter at underscore zachavelli underscore and feel free to join our community discord i'll leave a link to that in the show notes lastly i do want to mention that i am now streaming regularly on twitch that's at twitch.tv slash underscore. We've been having some really great streams recently, kind of just work on my game, and we have sort of a open discussion topic. So yeah, if that sounds like something you want to uh, tune into and maybe watch me work on my game a little bit, work on your own thing while I'm just on in the background or join in on the game dev discussions, you can do that on Tuesday and Thursday nights at 6.30 p.m. Eastern at twitch.tv slash Zaccavelli underscore. I realize now, (laughs) in the future, like, the time might be different because I've already switched my Twitch time once or twice. So, yeah, I can't guarantee it'll be at that time, I guess, (laughs) if you're listening to this, you know. A year into the future, but I'm sure I will still be working on games. And if I'm working on games, I might as well stream it. So, yeah, I'll see you there. With the intro out of the way, let's move on over to the Game Dev Challenge. The Game Dev Challenge is the part of the show where I provide a prompt for the listeners to sort of practice and cement the core ideas from the episode. The listeners then post. Their submissions to our community Discord, and we vote on them, and the winner gets read on the next episode. Episode 73's Game Dev Challenge was to identify the source of the heart and soul in one of your favorite games. Remember, episode 73 was about finding the heart and soul of a game, and we talked about kind of the different sources of that. Uh, Things like the game knows its identity, it has charm, it has a good way of evoking feeling, it has maybe even some endearing flaws. And you can tell that the devs really paid attention to the details and really poured their heart and soul into it, thereby imbuing the thing that they worked on with heart and soul. We talked about all those kinds of things, and I asked you to break it down And this resulted in a lot of really long posts, (laughs) which is totally fine. I totally encourage the long posts. Uh, It's unfortunate, though, that I'm going to have to paraphrase the winner uh, because it is a long post. But it is very well thought out. And yeah, I guess without further ado, the winner of the Episode 73 Game Dev Challenge is Zenzara. Zenzara's post is huge, but I will do my best to paraphrase kind of the core ideas of it. I would encourage you to maybe go read it yourself and read all the other ones too. There were some really good, well-thought-out posts for this one. But yeah, for now, I will just summarize Zinzara's post. Zinzara says, For this challenge, I choose a game that I haven't been able to stop thinking about since I finished playing it. Omori. Zinzara then goes on to identify kind of the different categories and sources of the heart and soul. For the identity... Zanzara points out that Omari is a game with two faces. On its exterior, it's almost a cutesy mask of a pastel dream world. But underneath is, as Zanzara put it, a creepy one-eyed abomination staring out. (laughs) Always reminding us that it is a psychological horror RPG. And I actually, I haven't played Omari, and I didn't even know about it until this post, but I get the vibe... That it plays very well to its identity of this thing where it's maybe deeper than it seems at first. And it's maybe not as Uh, light-hearted, maybe is a little bit even darker than it seems at first. And yeah, I just really, I like projects with that kind of vibe. And it sounds like this game knows what its identity is and it knows what it's trying to be. The next category is the charm. And Zanzara points out that a lot of Omari's charm comes from its humor with many laugh-out-loud moments bizarre encounters, and even delightful surprises. Everything from challenging a recycling cult to fighting a photorealistic tree for no reason. On the more serious side of things, though, we're charmed by the characters themselves as we discover their unfolding story and interactions between each other, and the player eventually comes to grow a personal relationship with the characters. This is something I pointed out in episode 73 about having moments of levity even in serious games. And I think this is an example of how you can have serious moments in sort of more comedy-focused games. I think that juxtaposition works both ways. Zinzara goes further and points out that Omari is a deeply emotional game about confronting hard truths and hopefully overcoming them. Zinzara particularly liked the way the music evoked feeling uh, as they were playing it and they even pointed out some cool symbology with a violin and a piano and how they're symbolic of the two characters and towards the end they play in a sort of duet. Lastly, Zanzara points out the flaws and the attention to detail which are kind of related in the way that I see this post. But Zanzara points out that Omari has been criticized for being too long of a game. But also the attention to detail is in that it has multiple routes and offers different experiences depending on which route you choose. It almost feels like the developers had so many stories and so much they wanted to tell that they couldn't (laughs) bear to cut some of the things. And it ended up in an actually too long of a game. But if that's your biggest flaw is that you had so much good stuff that you wanted to put into it, you wanted to put so much love into the game that you just... It's overflowing. (laughs) then I, I I don't know, I think that is, uh, there's worse flaws to have. There was one other cool detail that I wanted to mention, uh, especially when it comes to, like, secrets and stuff like that. I love that kind of thing, the attention to detail in the secrets of a game. But Zanzara says that the game is also bursting with secrets, and it rewards players for things that seem little but mean a lot. For example, watering your friend's plants regularly might get you a tiny heartwarming bonus at the end. And lastly, I would like to quote Zanzara, actually the last sentence of their summary. I think this is the kind of thing that you're looking for in a game with a lot of heart and soul, but Zanzara says, it is definitely a game that will stay with me for a long time. And I think we've all played a game like that, right? That game that kind of just stays in your heart. You always will remember it. Uh, and you always remember, like, the way you ma- it made you feel, maybe the fun you had, even, like, other kinds of emotions like frustration. <laughs> I think we've all played a game that is frustrating, but we loved it so much that we couldn't put it down. Yeah, I think that is a marker of a game with heart and soul. It's the kind of thing that's going to stay with you for a long time. So, anyways, congrats to Zinzara for winning the Episode 73 Game Dev Challenge. For Episode 74's Challenge... I would like you to come up with an improvement plan for a game with good bones. This can be one of your own games or maybe a AAA game that you like or an indie game or anything really. But yeah, I want you to uh, maybe take today's episode and take the lessons that you learned from it and just come up with a plan for improving the project. And I hope with today's episode uh you kind of learn for like what are the things to look for what does it mean to be a game with good bones part of this game dev challenge is going to be picking a game that has good bones as we'll come to find out not all games do and games that don't maybe aren't sometimes worth trying to make an improvement plan for so yeah we'll get all into that here in a second but if you have a good idea for the submission just go over to the game dev field guide community discord Go to the Game Dev Challenge channel and type up your submission there. We will vote on them and there will be a winner declared for the next episode. With the Game Dev Challenge out of the way, let's move on over to the body of today's episode. Today's episode is going to be something that I guarantee if you stick with Game Dev long enough, you're going to have to do. The topic of today's episode is how to turn a bad game around. Hopefully into a good game, but at the bare minimum, at least not a worse game. And trust me, turning it into a worse game is easier to do than you might think. I just want to take a second to reiterate the point that you will likely make a bad game at some point in your career. In fact, if you stick around long enough, you probably will make a few bad games. So I just wanted to start by saying, don't get too discouraged if you make a bad game. It happens to everyone, and it seems to happen a lot when you're first starting out. Completing the process of making a game, let alone a good one, is extremely difficult. I have certainly made my fair share of bad games, and I probably got a few more in me. So, (laughs) yeah, just don't sweat it. If you make a bad game, it's no big deal. It happens to everyone. All you can do is try to improve... And uh, yeah, just know that it's going to happen. And by the way, some of the things we're going to mention today are going to work for just okay games and even sometimes improving good games. So just keep that in mind. A lot of these tactics don't have to be applied only to bad games. They can be applied to a wide variety uh, in terms of quality to improve your games in general. Anyways, let's talk about what the first step to turning around a bad game is. Step one is to evaluate whether or not you should even do something about the game being bad. When you realize you have a bad game on your hands, the first thing you have to do is say to yourself, is it worth the time and energy fixing it? Now that doesn't sound great, and I feel like I'm supposed to be here telling you uh, to always be your best and all that, but it's just not realistic. The truth is, you only have so much time to make a game, especially if this is something you do on the side. You probably have a job or a family or other kinds of important responsibilities, and your time to actually sit down and do game dev might be extremely limited. Even if it's not limited, time is precious when it comes to game dev. There's always more stuff you could do, no matter how much time you have, so you need to spend your time wisely and efficiently. And I totally get that some people might see this next thing as like seedy, or maybe being lazy or worse, like a dishonest developer. Like, maybe you decide that the game's not worth fixing after you launched it, and people paid for your game. That doesn't feel very good from the consumer, and it doesn't feel very good as a developer. And I think that situation is very different than finding out your game is not good in beta. But I'm just trying to be as real with you as I can. The truth is, you are probably a low-budget solo or small indie team, and it would be better for you in that situation to just own your mistake, take that lump and move on. I think it's a very different situation than a AAA company knowingly selling a broken high demand IP to try and capitalize on a consumer unfriendly product. There's different levels to how like dishonest that is or how lazy that is or how seedy is or, or however you want to define it. And uh, yeah, for most of the people listening to this podcast, I would say if you find out your game is just garbage after people have already paid for it, sometimes the best thing you can do is just move on to the next thing and try not to feel that guilt. So yeah, if I could just summarize that, I would say try your best to make the best game that you can, but if you find out it is total garbage and someone pays for it and they don't like it, it's perfectly healthy to say, I'm sorry that you don't like it, I tried my best, and the time investment for me to turn that game around would be better spent into a making a new game or working on a different project and it's just not worth it. So yeah, I just wanted to address that up front. Okay, how do you know if it's worth spending time to turn around a game? Well, let's look at three metrics. Popularity, motivation, and foundation. Let's look at the first thing, popularity. This one's pretty simple. Is it popular enough to make it worth fixing? If nobody's playing it, then it's not really worth fixing. You're going to put all this time and effort into fixing something for five people to play for 30 minutes. You would be better off just making a better sequel or building a better foundation for your next project. One thing you have to keep in mind is that this metric is a little paradoxical. Maybe the reason no one is playing it is because it's bad. Now, that's not always the case. As sometimes people aren't playing it just because they don't know about it yet. But just keep that paradox in mind uh, when taking in the metric of how popular is it. You kind of got to think about, is it not popular because it's bad or is it not popular because I didn't do any marketing and nobody knows about it yet? If nobody knows about it yet, then that kind of changes the answer. Maybe you do want to put some time into it. Okay, on to the next metric that I want to talk about, which is motivation. Now, motivation is another hard thing to gauge accurately, but all I mean by this is, do you want to continue working on the project? If we're being honest, the last bit of finishing a game can be a real slog, and it's very easy for your motivation to dip. This is something that you have to keep in mind when evaluating if you're gonna commit to turning a game around. In a situation where you just launched a game, and you get the emotional blow of people not liking it, are you really going to be pumped enough to invest a whole bunch of time fixing it? And the real question is, are you going to be level-headed enough to evaluate that fairly? I think for most people, the answer is no. So what I think you should do is for the first one or two weeks after launch, support the game as much as you can. Put out the emergency fires, fix those game-breaking bugs, and engage with the audience. Then, after that period... Take a break, work on a new project or go on vacation or binge a game or TV series, something that kind of helps you reset. And when you come back from that break, that's when you evaluate whether or not you're motivated enough to commit to supporting that game and turning it around. After that initial two weeks of support and then your two weeks of time off, It'll be about a month from launch, and I feel like you'll have a good amount of data and be in the right headspace to evaluate that long-term support of the game properly. The last metric I think you should look out for is the foundation. You might hear someone say about a game that it has good bones. And I think this is the most important metric for deciding if you're going to fix a game. Ultimately, if the game at its core is not good, then your improvements may not do much to make the game better. But, if your game is just a few tweaks away from being good, that's a much different situation than something that requires its core features to be totally redone. You would say that game has good bones, or a good foundation. If the game is going to require you to totally remake core features, that would be a game with a poor foundation, or not good bones. (laughs) I don't know, what is the opposite of good bones? Anyways, at that point, if you're remaking core features, you might wanna think about just making a sequel or a different game. A telltale sign of a game with a poor foundation is if you have to start adding features to fix features. Or if you're redoing core features or changing the genre or the core design. Once you start going down that rabbit hole where you're just kind of throwing anything and everything into the game to try and fix it, you really gotta think about whether or not the game has a good foundation or if you should just start over with something new. Okay, so let's say you looked at the metrics and you've decided it's worth it to improve the game. There's enough popularity and you're feeling motivated and you know the game has good bones and it just needs some fixes and tweaks. Where do you start? How do you diagnose what needs to be fixed? Let's start by breaking it down into known versus unknown problems. Known problems are way better than unknown problems. If you have unknown problems, you're in trouble. This would be a situation where you can't really put your finger on it, but the game just isn't good. People aren't liking it and you're not sure why. If you're in this situation, it's usually because you're too close to the game's issues and the issues are in your blind spots. Now the blind spots for every project are different and I feel like I'm still finding new ones to this day. (laughs) But there's a few classic blind spots, and this is where I look first when I realize that something isn't going right, and I'm trying to figure out what it is. The first one relates to art. The art for your game might be off-putting or bad, and you might not even notice. The truth is, we spend a lot of time with the games we're making, and sometimes it becomes hard to tell if it looks good or bad. This is why it's super helpful to have a third party take a look at your game from time to time. Someone you trust who's going to be honest with how things look. And to hear that it looks bad is going to hurt. And it's easy to be defensive in that moment. But if it's coming from someone you trust, you should listen. Remember that they're not trying to hurt your feelings. Uh, They just don't spend every day with the game, so they immediately notice the things that maybe look off, that you've just gotten used to. This also has like a a negative effect too, there's a lot of negativity out there. Uh, So it's easy to think your game is worse than it is, because you see it every day, and maybe you're like, oh man, that looks horrible. Uh, But then someone looks at it for the first time like, wow, actually this looks pretty good. So yeah, it's a very hard thing to get an honest read of, but that's why you have to ask people you trust... And people you know are who are going to give you a straight answer. So yeah, number one thing to look for, if your game's not doing well, uh, keep in mind that it could be because of the art. Maybe it has a cheap feeling or it just doesn't look that good. And you've grown too close to it to see that it doesn't look good. The good news is, if it's art, then that's something usually you can improve. And it's not like a thing where you should just totally move on to the next project, necessarily. Okay, next common blind spot that causes unknown problems. We're going to call this blind spot the feedback or unintuitiveness blind spot. I gotta think of a better name. (laughs) This is the idea that the game has a lot of friction because the player doesn't understand how to play or what is going on. This is a classic blind spot for beginner devs, because this is not something you notice till you watch someone play your game and they have no idea what to do. Things that seem so obvious to you are missed entirely by the player, and this happens because you subconsciously know what your game is about you know how it works, you know what's happening under the hood. But to someone coming in fresh, they don't have this subconscious knowledge. And the division between your subconscious knowledge and their empty experience can cause a blind spot. So how do you avoid this? This is something that I think you just kind of learn to design with practice. But you need to take some time to think If I was brand new to this game, would I understand what was going on or would I need additional information? Like I said, you kind of get a feel for saying this to yourself. This is something that I've really been practicing and trying to do with my current game because my current game is very like stats and mechanics heavy. And so I need the player to know what is happening all the time. I want them to be able to have that context. I don't want cool stuff to be happening under the hood and the player not know about it. So yeah, when you're asking yourself these questions, maybe you're like, oh, this is the kind of thing I want to to tell the player with an icon, or maybe I should explain this with a tooltip. Or maybe I can do some kind of clever level design so things can only happen in the way that I want them to and that'll explain what's going on to the player. You will know if your game has this problem if you watch someone play it and they seem lost or you can visually see them running into a lot of friction. They can't really ever get into the flow of the game because of all these friction points. If you think you're having this problem, watch someone play your game and write down all of those friction points you notice and try to address them one by one with giving the player more tips or describing things with icons or new tooltips or better UI and gameplay. This is definitely one of those things where a game can have good bones, but it doesn't explain itself well and there's too much friction that the strong foundation never gets to shine. I think this is actually a good problem to have as I see it as a very fixable situation. The difficulty is recognizing this blind spot before it's too late. Speaking of difficulty, let's talk about the next common blind spot I want to mention. That would be difficulty and pacing. This is one that I personally struggle with. It's really easy to get good at your game because you're playtesting it so much during development. This can make it very difficult to remember what the game is like for a beginner, which is crucial because the player is getting their first impression and playing it for the first time, and whenever they're doing that, they're almost always a beginner. It can also really be easy to mess up the pacing. If you're using debug cheats, for example, to speed up the early game, you might get a warped impression of what the early game is actually like. This is another problem that is easy to diagnose if you know what to look for. If you're watching people play and they're getting frustrated to the point of not having fun, then you know it's a difficulty issue. Episode 8 and episode 43 are good ones to listen to if you're dealing with difficulty issues. And it's kind of cool that the podcast is getting to the point now where we can start referencing other episodes and kind of build the knowledge base of like multiple episodes that's kind of cool but anyways if you're watching someone play and they're just sort of slowly getting bored uh, and this is assuming you have a good game loop I think you're likely dealing with a pacing issue like I said it's easy to get a warped perspective of how long it takes to get to the good part of the game because you might cheat or use debug tools to get to that part as fast as possible when testing But when the player goes to play it, they don't have access to these cheats or debug tools. And so for them, it's a lot slower of an experience. And uh, the pacing feels off, and they just slowly lose interest. So if your game is not doing well, and you're not sure why, I would start with those common blind spots. Next, let's talk about known problems. Now, this is going to depend entirely on your game. Every game design is unique and has things that work in it that doesn't work in other games or things that work in other games and doesn't work in it. Known problems I think come in two forms. Ones that you knew about before launch and ones that you know about after. Ones that you knew about before launch are usually things that you can't really do anything about. This is because if you knew it was a problem and you could have fixed it, you would have fixed it before launch. So usually these are things that you know they're problems, but you can't really do anything about them. And I know you're thinking to yourself, Wow, Zach's really padding the episode these days with (laughs) extremely obvious stuff. But I promise you this is not as obvious as it might seem. When a game is not doing well, it's important to identify what you can do about it. If the root cause is one of these things that you already knew about... Uh, but you can't do anything about it. Maybe it's like a technical issue or you just don't have the time or money to do it. Maybe it's worth spending your time on a different problem you can fix. For instance, let's say you're making a game where fire magic is very prominent. And let's say you're going for a very realistic look, like A quality effects. Only issue is your engine or your lack of technical skills doesn't allow you to do volumetric fire. So the game looks really cheap because the fire effects look like they're from 2005. Now, let's say you knew about this, but for performance reasons or, again, your lack of technical skills, you didn't fix it before launch. The game comes out and people say, the gameplay is great, but why does the fire look like it's from 2005? It's easy to get caught up in that feedback and then try to make volumetric fire a thing. You try to force it to happen because now all these people are telling you that it needs to be fixed. But you already know it's not going to work because you already tried that a bunch of times before you put it out. I think the smarter thing to do would be to accept that the fire doesn't look good and try to fix the other issues that you can do something about. Focus on the things that you can fix. Here's a controversial take that I think might actually uh, make this a little bit more clear. I think in Skyrim, the animations look really jerky and kind of bug-filled, and they just don't look that good compared to other games of its scope and quality. And yet, does anyone, including me, hold that against it? Have you ever heard anyone say Skyrim would be great if it wasn't for its jerky and weird animations? (laughs) And you might be saying, well, yeah, no one says that because they're good and you're just wrong, Zach. Which maybe is the truth, but even though I don't like the animations, I think they feel kind of weird, I don't hold that against Skyrim at all. Every game's going to have flaws, and Skyrim is just such a great thing outside of those flaws that uh, I, I don't really care. I mean, yeah, it looks a little weird, but I can also fight dragons in an open world adventure. So yeah, I just wanted to point out that sometimes knowing your own limitations and having these known problems puts things into perspective for you and lets you focus on things that you can fix and not dwell on the things that you can't. Okay, so now you have your known problems that you didn't fix due to technical limits or lack of time or budget or whatever. Let's talk about the known problems that come as a surprise to you after launch. The ones that make you say, oh yeah, that doesn't work now that I see that. These, I think, are actually the most fixable kind of problems that you can have. Or at least I hope they are. I hope you're not getting surprised by, like, a core flaw after the game. (laughs) That is a bad situation. I think it might happen more than you think. So, yeah, if if you're getting surprised that there's a core flaw in your game, it might be time to just move on to the next thing. Because I think you're going to be in that... Uh, The game needs a core redesign issue, and that is going back to that idea of, does the game have good bones? So, let's just, for the sake of the argument, say that the flaws that people are bringing up are not things that affect your good bones, but are things that are making the game feel bad. These are fixable problems, but there is a catch. These problems are pointed out by players players who don't understand the inner machinations of your game. If you ch- if you try to chase down and fix exactly what the players are saying, sometimes you might end up in a whack-a-mole type situation because what the players are seeing and saying needs a fix are really symptoms of a root cause, but they can't see the root because they're looking from the outside in. And you're playing whack-a-mole trying to Only do what the players are saying, and that might actually introduce more issues than it fixes. So an important thing to do in this step is listen to the feedback and determine if the feedback is a symptom of a deeper root cause or if it's just something that you can fix as like a one-off thing. You as the developer are going to have the most insight in the entire world as to what is causing these symptoms. You are an expert on how your own game is made. And so if you're gonna go and prove these things, you wanna make sure you're addressing the root cause and not just the symptoms. An example might be if the players are complaining about a certain play style that's unbalanced. They might have all sorts of reasons for why they think the game is unbalanced or the play style is unbalanced. But remember, they can only see from the outside looking in you can see the inside. So maybe you know that that playstyle feels unbalanced because of the way the animations are set up and it gives those players a significant advantage. Knowing that the animations for that kind of playstyle play a little bit differently, that is the kind of thing that only you are going to know. You're gonna have the most insight on that. The players are not gonna be able to see that background information. So take that into account and make sure you're addressing the root cause of feedback that identifies after launch known problems. Okay, let's summarize today's episode. Today we talked about tips for turning around a bad game. Remember that you'll likely have a bad game at some point and don't get discouraged. Know that it happens to pretty much all game devs. The first thing to do when you have a bad game on your hands is to decide if it's worth fixing. The three metrics that I use to decide that is it's popularity, it's no good putting in work to fix something that is already dead, The second is motivation. Remember, you're gonna be burned out after launch, so maybe give it a month of relaxation before you gauge if you have the motivation to keep working on that project. The third is foundation, or does the game have good bones? If the flaw of the game is core to what it is, it's probably not worth trying to reinvent it. Just use that time to get ahead on a new project. When figuring out how to fix the game, you have two kinds of problems. Known problems and unknown problems. Unknown problems are bad because it can be hard to know how to fix them. I recommend checking common blind spots. Examples of blind spots are, you're too close to the art and it looks bad, but you can't tell. You subconsciously know too much about the game and how it works, but a new player has a lot of friction because they can't figure that out and the game isn't telling them how to do it or giving them that information, that information that you're taking for granted. And lastly, the game is too hard or boringly slow and you couldn't tell because you got too good at your own game or you cheated when testing and you sped things up. We also have known problems, which are better problems to have, but still problems. And it's worth thinking about known problems uh, in two ways. Ones that are before launch and ones that are after launch. Ones that you know but you can't really fix because they're out of reach due to limitations. And ones that you can fix but you want to make sure that you're identifying the root cause. When it comes to the out of reach stuff, remember that it's better to focus on fixing the things that you can instead of trying to force a solution or something that you know you can't because you've already tried many times or it's just a a limitation that you have. It's okay to have a game with flaws, especially if they're caused by those limitations out of your reach. Just focused on what you can do to make it the best it can be. For the known problems that you discover after the game comes out, it's important to remember that you have special knowledge about your game. Like I said, if players are reporting a problem, make sure you're addressing the root cause that maybe is something that you can only see. Otherwise you're gonna end up playing an ugly game of whack-a-mole that ultimately leads to more problems. I guarantee if you stick with game dev long enough, at some point you're gonna find yourself in this position during your game dev career. You've launched a game, it's bad, people don't like it, and now you have to do something about it. And I hope what you learned in today's episode will help you navigate that situation with confidence and get on the path to making your game the best it can be or wisely moving on with lessons learned for the next project. And yeah, that's going to do it for me today. Thank you for listening to the episode. I know I've been a little bit late with the release schedule recently. It's just <laughs> it's just hard. I'm I'm trying my best to catch up. If you're looking for more content from me, Um, I would say the best place to catch me right now where I'm like consistently putting stuff out is actually on Twitch. That's twitch.tv slash Zacavelli underscore. And I'm live every Tuesday and Thursday night at 6.30 p.m. Eastern working on my 2D auto battler game. And we've been having great game dev discussions in that. So, yeah, if you're maybe looking for a little bit more content or just a place to talk and hang out and do game dev and maybe have some background noise while you do your own thing, that's a good place to find me right now. Another good place to find me is on our community Discord. There's an open invite link for that in the show notes. And yeah, that's a great place to find a community of beginner to intermediate devs, and even advanced devs, indie game devs, and artists, and all sorts of people who love the craft of game development. And uh, it's grown into a really good community. It's something that I'm pretty proud of. And I'm really excited to do the monthly team jam this summer. I'll be announcing details about that on the Discord here soon. So with all of that, I think I'm going to end the episode. I've been Zacchavelli speaking from personal and recent experience. And I'll see you guys next time.